G'day, mate. Welcome to episode 39 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. In this episode, we jump into some rapid-fire Q&A from you guys out there listening in podcast land. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Matty Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. G'day, mate. It is so good to have you here for another episode of the Exponential Performance Podcast. Welcome along to episode 39. Now, I realize it's been quite a long break between pushing play and listening to a podcast, so I apologize in advance for that. Uh, And things aren't really getting any quieter at the moment, so with that in mind, what I decided to do was make no more excuses and just push the record button and get an episode downrange for you to enjoy, to inform you, to help your training, uh, and just get it done. So here it is, episode 39. What we're going to do today is tackle some Q&A. I've got some rapid fire Q&A from social media today. So I posted on the Exponential Performance Facebook page and also on my Instagram account if anyone's got any burning questions. So I thought I'd fire those in there so that uh, we've got some content for today because I've been having a little bit of a block uh, with with the podcast, it comes time to record it. I've been really busy. I haven't put much thought into what I'm going to record, and uh, I can't get in the groove of what content I should put out there. So I throw it over to you guys, and you have given me lots of ideas, and keep those ideas coming. Now, uh, over the last few weeks, there hasn't been a full duration episode of the podcast but there have been some sound bites now these sound bites are a little excerpts from previous podcasts breaking it down so it's not the long episode but it's just little sound bites of the different topics uh, key questions and my answer to them that people have asked i'm releasing those both on youtube and also on soundcloud so make sure you check those out Uh, Let me know what you think of them. Are they helpful? Is it helpful having these short little excerpts, little sound bites? Is it helpful to you? Uh, Does it make them a little easier to share? Um, And if it is useful and it is helpful, which topics or questions or podcast episodes would you like to uh, see have sound bites made of them? So I'm going to keep trying to make um, sound bites every week, release them out there, and also get on top of releasing this podcast on a little bit more of a regular basis from here on. So, just a reminder if you do have questions for me, you can send them to me via email. Hit me up over on Facebook at the Exponential Performance Coaching Facebook page, on Instagram, follow me over there. Um, or the best way is to leave a voice message. So you can leave me a voice message at www.exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash ask, A-S-K. Leave me a question over there. If you leave me a question, I'm going to send you a free copy of the Performance Temple Handbooks. Now the Performance Temple 
If you have not already got your free introduction to the Performance Temple, make sure you go and download that. You can get that over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com and you'll find it there. What it is, is it is the learnings, everything that I have learned about structuring training uh, and the foundation of what you've got to get sorted to have a successful training program. So make sure you go and check that out. Also, it would be greatly appreciated. Rather than just asking questions, leave me some feedback. Leave me some feedback, whether that be on Facebook, whether that be on Instagram, whether that be on email, or if you want to send some feedback via the voice message, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Leave me some feedback about how you're finding the podcast, but not just about how you're finding the podcast, but tell me a story about what you've been up to and how the podcast is helping your training. What are you doing that you've learned from the podcast that's helping your training? So not just about how you enjoy listening to me, but I want to hear about the doing, the things that you were doing uh, from the things you're learning. So get over to the voice message at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash ask. Leave me a question or leave me some feedback. It would be greatly appreciated. Remember, I want to help you as much as I can with this podcast, and that's what it's all about. So the more I hear from you, the more I'm able to give back to you. So let's crack into the first question for today. This is a voice question all the way from Norway. Let's hear it. Hi, Matthew. This is Sian from Norway. I saw your YouTube post concerning high and low pulse. I struggled that my pulse in periods is much lower than normal, about 10 to 15 strokes, both on hard and easy workouts. Uh, I'm a runner. I know that this happens on hard sessions if you have exercised too hard for a period, but will this happen on the easy workouts as well? I run five to six hours a week, divided into five sessions. Two are hard and the rest is easy. I think I should tolerate this even if I have uh, two children and a full-time job. My friends that are pretty good runners mean I'm getting in better shape, but I'm not so sure that it's true. Do you think uh, the total stress uh, on my body is too too hard? Thank you. Total stress uh, on my body is too too hard. Thank you. Well, yeah, thank you very much for your question. Now, the video that they are referring to is on YouTube. And if you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, make sure you do that. Uh, The link will be in the description below. Or if you're already over on YouTube, there's a video out there about high and low heart rates during training. And this video is about if you're out there and you're putting in a really hard session and you can't get your heart rate up, what does that mean? And often it means that there's so many stress hormones floating around in your bloodstream that your heart rate is gets suppressed. It gets it gets so used to being bombarded with all this adrenaline and noradrenaline that it no longer responds. It becomes unresponsive to your stress hormones. And this is why you can often have a low heart rate when you're trying to train hard. Alternatively, as you'll hear in this video, is if you're cruising out there for an easy training session 
and you're overtrained or you're overstressed, your heart rate will be higher than normal. So this is what this video covers. And anyway, our friend from Norway is saying that their pulse rate is lower than normal. Now, what I think we've got a case of here is not so much uh, a high training stress or a high life stress. What I think this person may have is just a lower than normal pulse rate in general, in general. So what's the best thing to do from here? I don't necessarily think it's about your training load, although it could be. But what I think you need to do is rather than comparing your heart rate to other people, because some people have higher heart rates, some people have lower heart rates, there's a distribution of heart rate ranges out there. If you've got a really big heart and a lot of blood, it does not need to beat as fast to meet the demands of the exercise. If you've got a small hummingbird heart, then you've got to beat it a lot faster to get the blood around. So what I think is potentially the problem, well not the problem, but the situation going on here is that potentially you have a slightly lower heart rate than normal. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're overtrained or overstressed, but it's just something we need to take into account. So what you need to do from here, go out and do a field test. Now, for you being a runner, you'd want to do a running field test. Pretty much what we want to do is go out for 30 minutes. Take the first, do a good warm-up, and then take the first 10 minutes hard. Settle into your pace, but you're aiming to run as far and as hard as you can for 30 minutes. Now, the idea of this is we're trying to get an average heart rate over the final 20 minutes of this field test. So run as hard as you can. At 10 minutes into the test, I want you to push the lap button on your heart rate monitor so it captures the average heart rate for that final 20 minutes. Now, the average heart rate for this final 20 minutes is a good indication of your functional threshold heart rate. So you take that heart rate, that average heart rate over that time, and I want you to minus 5% off it. And the reason we minus 5% is it's, it's not our true uh, functional threshold heart rate because our functional threshold heart rate is the, the maximal average heart rate that we can hold for one hour. So if we're doing 20 minutes, usually it's about 5% lower uh, over, over that shorter time period than if we were to push it out for the full hour. So take that heart rate that you got for that 20 minute time period minus 5% off it, and then take that number. That is your functional threshold heart rate. What you can then now do is go into a program such as Training Peaks and use that heart rate to calculate your training zones. Then that's going to give you specific heart rate training zones for you personally, for your heart, for your specific heart and how hard it beats. And then you're going to get a better idea of where you are sitting in different training runs. So if you're doing an easy run, you want to be down in that zone 1 to 2. If you're running along and your heart rate isn't able to stay in that zone 1 to 2 in that easy run, then we start to know that your heart rate has been affected by your stress hormones. Or for example, if you're trying to do intervals in zone 4 or 5, but you're not able to get your heart rate up there then we know that it's starting to be suppressed. But until that time that we actually get some specific data for you, we don't know whether or not it's, it is actually normal for you, uh, even though it's out of the normal ranges that you might be seeing with uh, your friends or your training partners. So get out there, do a threshold test, a functional threshold field test, uh, and this will be a really good way to one, track your performance over that 20-minute over that, uh, 
time block, how far you can run in that time. So not only will it give us this data about your heart rate, it'll also give you data about your performance. And if you retest, obviously you can see if you're getting fitter, for want of a better word. Also allows you to set those zones, see where your heart is. So thanks very much for your question. Please uh, send me a follow-up voice message. Let me know how you're getting on and, uh, and what results you find of this. Alrighty, next question from our social media rapid fire Q&A. It's about cramp. And this person says that they don't get cramp in training, but they always get it in racing when they're racing in events. Now I covered cramp fairly in-depthly in an episode, uh, episode 37, and I also have some videos on YouTube around cramp. But I want to cover it again today because obviously people still got questions about it, uh, so it never hurts to recap. But if you want to dig into it deep, have a look at episode 37s. So, key things about cramp. This is what we kind of know. Cramp is uh, cramp is a neuromuscular problem. Okay, so it's, it involves both the nervous system and the muscle. One of the biggest things that cause cramp or seem to cause cramp is an imbalance between training intensity or duration and uh, racing training or duration. So there's a mismatch between what you're training your body to do and then what you're asking it to do in competition. And that's why often people will not cramp during training, but they will cramp in a race because they're asking their body to go harder or to go longer or to go over different terrain or do things in different sequences than they would in training. So if you are experiencing cramp in a specific area of a race repeatedly, say it's during the run in a triathlon or uh, it's during the end of a long bike race, then you need to think about addressing uh, and adding that aspect into your training. So really work on that and identify where they are. Often you can identify where you're going to cramp in a race and then you can work back from there and integrate that aspect into your training. Also, I believe that cramp is a great signal that you're working hard in a race, that you're pushing your limit. Your body is trying to tell you to slow down because it's not capable of pushing much harder for much longer. So I don't necessarily think cramp's a bad thing. It's a good signal that you're pushing hard. If you're one of these people that aren't cramping when they're racing, you need to push a bit harder. Push a bit harder. If you're not cramping, you've still got capacity left to push. So let's see if we can push ourselves to that cramp uh, in our races in the future. Now I had a comment after my last podcast uh, when I talked about sodium or salt not being a factor in cramp based on a couple of research papers out there that have looked at uh, sodium levels in the blood before and after an event. And those people that cramp um, don't seem to have any difference in their sodium levels following uh, a race. And someone asked, am I anti-salt, anti-sodium, anti-electrolytes? And the answer is no, Uh, definitely not. What I would say is if you are cramping, make sure you're getting enough electrolytes. Make sure you are getting enough salt in 
with your race nutrition and also in your nutrition leading into the event. Once you have ticked this box, then you're good to go. It's obviously not that if you're still cramping. I am not anti-sodium, but I definitely am anti-people making a lot of money off uh, selling stuff to people that they don't really need. So when it comes to electrolyte tablets and drinks and the rest of it, if you don't need it, then there's not really any point in buying it. I get frustrated when people have a problem and the first thing they do is, what can I buy to fix this problem? Uh, and often that's not always the case. However, marketing people know this and they'll, they'll push it down your throat, so to speak, literally. But I would definitely say, tick the sodium box. Make sure you've got enough. If you don't know how much sodium you need, um, get in and see uh, a nutritionist is, is, is my number one recommendation. Get in and see a nutritionist and they'll be able to sort you out. But tick the sodium box for sure. If you feel that your electrolyte tablets uh, are the difference between you cramping and not cramping, then keep taking them. 100% keep taking them. If you like your electrolyte drink, just like I do, I have a... Um, I use the SIS uh, electrolyte tablets at the moment and they are great. They are great, but it's not the be all and end all when it cr comes to cramps, so don't think about it in that way. Because remember, I talked about it in episode 37. If you're getting cramped in the same place repeatedly, some soft tissue massage work in that area could be a very, very beneficial thing. Uh, and finally, in a race, if you're cramping, do not try and push through it. It's a signal from your body that you need to dial it back. So scale it back, make sure you've taken care of your nutrition, hydration, uh, and then just focus on your pacing. Dial it back, let that cramp subside, and then, and then try and push your intensity back up to where you want it to be. But if you keep cramping, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. It's going to make you slow down if you don't voluntarily do it. And when cramp makes you slow down, you can't just slow down a little bit. It completely, you know, knocks you out. So make sure you uh, take and manage that cramp uh, early on. So I hope that answers your question about cramping. Uh, and let's jump on to the next question. I get this question a lot, um, and I thought, well, I might as well address it here, is what am I personally training for at the moment? Well, I am personally training for nothing at the moment, to be honest with you. Um, what I find is when I was younger, I would go from race to race to race. I always needed something in my sights. I always needed two or three things in my sights, you know. Long-term goal and then lots of multiple little races leading into it. And I'd, I'd race as much as I possibly could. These days, it's a little bit different. Um... I've got a very limited amount of energy to go around when it comes to uh, family, to work, and, and to coaching, and, and the rest of it, and my own training. So what I personally do is I don't really go out looking for things to do. I let them come to me, and it's really funny how things do that. If something comes across my in my radar, so to speak, and it gets me really excited, uh, makes me a little bit nervous, makes me a little bit scared, then that's what I'm going to go and do. Uh, rather than going out and just signing up for events because I feel like I should be doing something. So at the moment, I've literally ridden my bike four times.
times this year, four times, and it is, what is it, April. So what's that average out is once a month so far. And it, oh, my body's feeling really good for it. Rather than uh, doing a lot of riding, I'm doing a lot of running at the moment and a lot of strength work to get my body um, back into good shape. I've got a lot of little niggly injuries um, from all my last, I guess, five years of doing a lot of ultra-endurance mountain biking events. A lot of injuries that just did, haven't seemed to come right. They're not crippling injuries, they're just little n annoying niggles that don't go away when I've spent a lot of time on my bike. So I've been putting in uh, a lot of running work, a lot of strength work, and just feeling really good for it, getting that structural integrity back, upper body strength, that sort of thing that I've been missing out on because I've just focused my time on getting as good as I can on the bike. Now, this goes a lot against a lot of the advice that I give about training and, and maintaining balance and that sort of thing, and I realize that. And it, and it comes, I guess, from a time-crunched approach. Because I've only got a certain amount of time to train, I always look at the biggest bang for my buck in terms of my performance. How can I get my performance as big as possible, as quick as possible? Uh, and if that's spending time on my bike doing intervals, then that's what I go and do. Uh, I know get home and I'll chuck my bike away and then that's where it all stops I guess. I, I've been really bad over the last few years of doing body maintenance work um, and so that's what I've, I'm really putting my focus on at the moment. Getting my body back into into shape. I guess I've, you know, I say I've been ridden hard and put away wet too many times and it's a little bit of a regeneration phase um, to do that. And what sort of strength work am I doing? Well, I'm, I'm working through the strength training for cyclists, the Ride Strong program that I have online. If you want to go and check out Ride Strong, you can do so over at the Exponential Performance um, Coaching website at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash Ride Strong. So go and check that out if you want to, if you're a cyclist looking to uh, maintain their body a little bit better this winter. So that's what I'm up to. I'm uh, I'm still looking out for things, and if anything comes across my radar that you know really excites me, give me those butterflies in my stomach, then uh, I'll let you know, and I'll start working towards that. But at the moment, I'm just putting my energy and time into other things. So I hope that answers that question about what I'm training for at the moment and how I go about selecting uh, goals to do. What are the key things that you look for in an event? How do you choose a goal that you're gonna that you're gonna tackle? What is it? Do you need uh, a race every month on the cards, or do you look long term and you've only sort of got need one thing to focus on for the year? It'd be interesting to know what all of you guys out there do. Now, another question I got was about high intensity training. This was about with a ten. This is off Facebook with the trend towards more high intensity interval training and interval style focused sessions how often and when should longer rides be targeted this is in the context of competing in endurance rides such as 160 kilometer mountain bike day races or multiple day brevets thanks in advance so I've talked a little bit about this before in previous um, podcast episodes what I would say is get back and have a bit of a look at episode two where I talk about interval uh, and endurance training 
and also uh, episode five where I talk about endurance training when you're short of time. But I mean, the key thing is, is that yes, you can use this high intensity interval training to replace a large amount of your training. And what I've found is it works really, really well for those people who have got a history of endurance training. They've been training for quite a number of years. They've got a really good aerobic base. They're an endurance animal, so to speak. They always love to go out there, get in the long rides, get in the long runs, and they've been they've been training that sort of way for quite a period of time. So if you are that sort of a person, uh, then if you get into some high intensity interval work, it's going to uh, boost your training pretty quickly. Depending on what your goals are within those sort of races, I definitely suggest keeping uh, a long ride in there. How many long rides? Well, it's entirely over to you, and it depends on the time you've got available. Um, but what I would normally say is that you know you could get in one long ride every week or every second week and still get away with it if you're putting in really good quality high intensity training on the other days. Now what I find is that as an athlete builds more and more of this high intensity interval training into their program and drops the uh, long steady distance, it usually they are able to usually perform pretty well for a season. They're usually able to get away with it for about a season. After that time, what I find happens is it starts to erode your endurance base. And so what I find is that with athletes that are taking this sort of training approach, what I suggest is that you have little top-up endurance blocks throughout your build-up. So you might not be able to regularly get in long endurance rides, but you may be able to get a block in, say, over a long weekend, or one weekend every month or every every second week that you're able to get out for some long endurance miles. That's when you can do it. So inject your high-intensity interval training program with some longer endurance blocks in there to top up your aerobic base just so that it doesn't get eroded too much. And then often people who are, are seasonally busy at work Say they might be super busy over summer, so they've got to adopt a high-intensity interval training approach over summer. But then in, say, autumn or winter or spring, they may have a, a period of work where they're not as busy. And in that case, then you could plan that non-busy time at work to have an endurance block in there to top things up. And if you're able to inject those little top-up blocks throughout your program, you can maintain you know, that higher intensity, lower volume training quite effectively. Uh, but it's just really dependent on your specific circumstances and your, and your goals. But if you want to have a talk about that, let me know. Uh, we can always have a look at it, see what your goals are see where you could be a little bit more strategic about your training, when you could put in high intensity blocks, when you need to dial things back and, um, and, and do some endurance work. So have a think about that, how it would fit in with your program. Now, final question from Facebook today. 
from a good mate of mine, John Harris. He always loves to throw a few curveballs. So what I thought I'd do is throw this question out to you, the audience. So have a listen to this, and if you want to have any input over into it, head over to Facebook, and I want you to reply to this question. It's a little bit of a philosophical question, something different to this podcast. So let's get those brains engaged and have a think about it. So a boat named Theseus has been passed down through generations of the same family. Each time a component of the boat becomes rotted or damaged, it was removed and replaced. Now after 100 years, all of the components have been replaced, so nothing original remains. All of the replacement parts were identical to the original ones. Each rotted or damaged part was also kept and over time, another vessel was made from all the rotted and damaged parts removed from the original boat until it was complete. So now you've got two boats. Which boat is the true Theseus? If you select the latter described vessel, the one that was made up of all of the damaged and rotted parts, at which point did it become Theseus again? So there you have it, guys. A little bit of a philosophical question for you to round out the podcast. Please head over to Facebook and comment so that John Harris knows that you are thinking and engaging your brain in more than just sports science and performance. So let me know which boat is the true Theseus. The one that is made up of the complete replacement parts or the one that is made up of all the rotted old parts. First question, why would anyone want to make a boat out of rotted damaged parts? I, I still don't, I don't really get that, but anyway. But anyway, go over, check that out. Leave me a Leave me your comments on that question from the thinker, John Harris. Um, P.S. John, thanks for your question. Also, make sure you find me over on Twitter, Facebook, and also Instagram. Send me your questions. I love to hear from you because at the end of the day, this podcast is all about giving you the information that you need to inform your training so you can train hard but most importantly, train smart. Now remember, take this information from today's podcast and don't just think about it. Don't just analyze it and continue to search the internet for the next greatest thing, but go out and start doing. Start doing. The best training program put together by all of the smartest sports scientists in the world is not going to work unless you go and do the work. So get out there and train hard, but most importantly, train smart. Talk to you next week.